Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Welcome to the latest episode of Stargate Theatre, part of Stargate Archives. This week I'm going to be looking at the 2011 movie Metal Shifters, aka Iron Invaders, aka Iron Golem. This movie was written and directed by Paul Ziller. Paul has directed Beverly Hills Wedding, Love on the Slopes, Ghost Storm, Polar Storm, Highlander and the Atlantis episode The Real World. He's also written Seeds of Destruction, Sea Beast, Beyond Loch Ness, Probable Cause and Stonehenge Apocalypse, plus many, many more. The movie premiered in the USA February the 12th, 2011, in Canada March the 11th and Sweden December 30th of the same year. The composer is Christopher Nickel. He's worked on Save Marino, Highway Through Hell, Christmas Princess, Untold Stories of the ER. A lot of documentary work in his resume. Stunt coordinator, Glenn Ennis. He's acted in Stargate Atlantis, the episodes Epiphany and Missing, also on The 100 and Van Helsing. And he's done stunt work on Man of Steel, Skyscraper, Justice League and Cold Pursuit. Metal Shifters stars Caven Smith, as well as Nicole DeBoer, two names we know from Stargate. A few more, Jess Moss, Paul McGillian, Shell Horsdal, Chris Grothor, Alvin Sanders, Scott McNeil. Quite an extensive list. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Okay then, if you haven't seen this movie before, it's going to be spoiled rotten. And if you have, well, share the fun with me. Okay then, let's get going. Metal Shifters. The movie opens up with the production credits, Anchor Bay, a Stars Company, Cinetel Films, and Real One Entertainment. Three big names in this area of the TV movie market. We see a Russian satellite in orbit around the Earth. Basic CGI, but perfectly acceptable. And we see it hit by a meteor, it's ripped apart, and we see the debris floating in orbit. I assume it's going to re-enter at some point. Small American community. Lots of for sale signs. Most of them accompanied with foreclosure notices. The economy must have turned bad. Maybe a major employer has closed down. A banner, Idaho Heritage. There's a location, at least a state anyway, so that's a beginning. Jake and Ethan, a couple of contractors working on a building. Ethan is played by Colby Johansson. He appeared in the SG-1 episode Prometheus and the Atlantis episode Phantoms. Also been in Supernatural, Fringe and Reaper. Jake, much more familiar, Caven Smith. Major Evan Lorne in Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis. Deputy Andy in Eureka. The Perfect Bride and When Calls the Heart. While we love his work on Stargate, When Calls the Heart is probably <laughs> probably his starring role. The two men are brothers, working on their family inn, up to their necks in credit, but too far invested to walk away. That's when Ethan, who's looking out the window, sees something in the distance. It's not that bad. It's not the end of the world. I'm talking about that. Something falling from the sky. So perhaps the end of the world. We see a bright fireball heading towards the ground. It impacts a huge explosion. The two brothers jump in the Bronco and drive off. We cut to the crash light. Doesn't seem as big now. <laughs> and the local farmer comes out of his barn to investigate the noise. I fear for him. <laughs> I really do. We can assume this is the wreckage of the Russian satellite, but there seems to be some sort of grey goo bubbling away on the surface of some of the parts. The local farmer prods it with a metal rod and doesn't seem to get anywhere with it. 
He runs off to call the sheriff. Oh, hey, up. Some of the green goo has got on his metal rod. It liquefies, flows onto his hand. We see it absorbed into his hands and rush up in his veins all through his arm, into his head, his face. Colour drains out of him and he collapses. The rod looks actually like, actually looks like a torch. Rolls to one side, the green goo still on it. Well, he didn't last long, did he? The two brothers pull up on the road next to the farm. And they can see the crash site. And with a willful disregard for property rights, they uh, enter the farmer's land to inspect the wreckage. They realise it's a Russian satellite, although Ethan calls it a spaceship. <laughs> good chemistry between the two actors, good dialogue. You can definitely tell they're supposed to be family. Quite unbelievable. Now they are stealing the wreckage to go to a salvage yard to sell it. Yes, they need the money, but this is on somebody's land by rights. Salvage or... If not to the local farmer, then my guess is that NASA or the authorities will want first dibs at this wreckage. Anyhow, they get to the scrapyard, and we see significantly large robot. Probably a good 15 feet high, made out of spare parts. We can see radiator fans, etc., things like that. Imagine a transformer without all the fancy clothes. Why anybody would want to build this, I'm not quite so sure. I've got this feeling that it's going to play an important part in the movie. Here we meet Earl, the owner of the scrapyard. He's building the golem. Going to build it for the town centennial. A centerpiece, as it were. Earl is played by Donnelly Rhodes. Probably best known in recent times for Doc Cottle in Battlestar Galactica. Also been in Tron Legacy, Supernatural and The Flash. He passed away aged 18, 2018. The brothers and Earl... Agree on $800 for the wreckage of the satellite. I think Earl got himself a very good deal there. And we cut to a large sign. Welcome to Redeemer. A place to call home. I'm not quite sure about this. <laughs> the brothers park up. And that's when we first meet Amanda, played by Nicole DeBoer. She's walking with a young woman. Both of the brothers seem rather speechless. We learn that Jake and Amanda had a thing way back when. We jump back to the scrapyard. Earl is working on his machine. Shouts to his grandson he needs some more beer. The grandson, Max, played by Jess Moss, shouts that they haven't got any. You want me to go to town to get you some? The bear's crap in the woods. Jess appeared in Stargate SG-1 in Rules of Engagement. He was in Ghost Wars, but has made a career in many of the Hallmark TV movies. Morning Show Mysteries, Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries, Garage Sale Mysteries, Picture Perfect Mysteries. <laughs> He's doing alright for himself. In town, Jake has got that faraway look, trying to make up his mind whether he should approach Amanda, say hello, and finally he decides to, and says hello. A little awkward, but she seems delighted to see him. Amanda, as I said, played by Nicole DeBoer, Esri Dax in Deep Space Nine, Sarah Bannerman in The Dead Zone, and Becca D'Orsi in Private Eyes. We know her best from Stargate Atlantis. She played Dr. Alison Porter in The Excellent Whispers. Her daughter, Claire, is played by Merritt Patterson. Claire doesn't seem overly uh, enamoured by this small town. And she goes to sit in the car and let her mam catch up with a bloke from her past. Amanda is a teacher. She's currently getting divorced. And she's in town, going to stay with her aunt. Jake takes the opportunity to ask her if she'd like to go to dinner with him. She pretty much shoots him down. 
She's not looking to rekindle the romance, but, well, you never know. Earl is busy working on his golem. He's doing some welding. What he doesn't see in the background is the green goo on the Russian satellite debris is moving, is active. Then some of the metal parts begin to move together, joining together to make bigger items. And then they start moving across the compound. They reach the golem and we see veins of the green goo going up the robot. This doesn't look too good. <laughs> Earl is totally oblivious. I fear for him. I really do. Just before he's finished welding, the green goo hits the totality of the golem and it comes to life. It knocks him down. He falls to the ground unconscious. The machine slowly walks across the scrapyard. And I've got to say the CGI for it is pretty good. It's not trying to be real. It's a robot. So its movements are jerky, mechanical probably makes animation much easier than if they try to make it fluid and animal-like. We see a muscle car driving down the highway. The driver is played by Scott McNeil. He appeared in the SG-1 episodes Nightwalkers and Company of Thieves. Real claim to fame is as a voice actor and his resume is huge. Scott is very identifiable, often dresses in cowboy gear and he's credited as the cowboy. The car has some mechanical problems, it pulls over, and we see in the background the robot is eyeing him up. It creeps up on him, grabs him, and the green fluid infects him. Not quite sure at this point if it kills him outright or it takes him over, but either way, it's not good for him. Later that evening, Jake decides to pay a visit to the farmer where they found the satellite, going to give him a bit of cash, a bit of a finder's fee. At the scrapyard, Earl is just coming around, just as Max returns from fetching his beer. Don't know where the hell he's been. Took his time, didn't he? Earl believes his golem has been stolen because it ain't there now. Then we see the sheriff in his patrol car. The sheriff is played by Paul McGillian. Carson Beckett from Stargate Atlantis. More recently been in Firefly Lane and Darrow and Darrow. Also the movies Skyscraper and Star Trek. Before then he also had a recurring role in Sanctuary. Well, I hope you got something exciting because this has turned out to be one very boring Saturday night. <laughs> be careful what you wish for, Sheriff. Deputy Jenny gives him the news about Earl, the missing golem, 17 feet high and weighs a ton. The Sheriff isn't, <laughs> is, well, sceptical, shall we say. Jenny is played by Shayla Horsdal. She appeared in five episodes of SG-1, playing Lieutenant Womack, and in Atlantis, Erin, in the episode Tracker. She's been in Battlestar, Psych, The L Word, Arrow, and more recently Firefly Lane. Ethan is all alone, working at the inn. And naturally this is when the golem pays him a visit. Surprisingly it managed to creep up fairly close without him hearing it. You would have thought with all the gears, it would have made a significant noise. Ethan rushes into the house, barricades himself in. I fear the worst, I don't think it's going to help. The power supply is flickering, intermittent. The lights are flickering. The use of the music, the off-angled camera, the rapid jerky movement of Ethan walking backwards through the inn, ramping up the suspense and the tension. Very well filmed, very effective. He drops his phone, and as he goes down searching for it, one of the golem's mechanical arms bursts through the window, and we cut to Jake in his truck driving back. He gets to the inn, it looks like there's a party going on with all the lights, calling for his brother, and he finds him slumped at the back of the inn. Initially it looks like he's covered in blood, but it's his veins that have been infected by the goo. 
That's when we hear the thumping and the vibration throughout the inn. Jake looks through the window. There's the golem, the robot, walking away. Earl is still driving around town with his shotgun, looking for the people that stole his statue. And the sheriff is having a whiz against a tree. And this is when they both hear that Ethan has been killed. The sheriff initially doesn't believe any of it, thinks they're pulling a prank, but... Deputy Jenny, she certainly seems convinced, so off the sheriff goes. Earl does a U-turn, and it looks like they may be all going to the same place. Or not. The robot heading towards some houses. Is it Amanda's home? Claire is in a bedroom on the internet. Power disruptions continue, and we hear the rhythmic thumping of its footsteps as it draws near. We then hear some screaming as well. Neighbours, obviously the first to encounter the robot. Oh, we cut back to the inn, where the sheriff is just arriving to investigate the reported death. The sheriff goes into the inn, and that's where he finds Jake's body. He calls Jenny, orders the coroner to come on down. My guess is small town sheriff doesn't have to deal with this sort of... (laughs) Sort of event too often. Wait the corner and tell him he got his butt down at Jake's place pronto. Is it Ethan? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Oh my god. Who would want to kill Ethan? I don't know. I don't think this is a homicide. Claire and Amanda find the body of one of their neighbours, an old woman. We can see the mottling on her face and the veins with the infection. That's when the robot bursts through the window again. Really favours putting one of its hands through, scaring everybody senseless. (laughs) The two women run for it, jump into their SUV. Electrical problems though, having trouble starting, the robot's getting nearer, nearer, nearer. But finally it catches and they drive off into the night, heading towards the sheriff's office. Earl finally arrives at the inn. Jake immediately jumps down his throat, he blames Earl for everything. Doesn't quite seem to grasp the fact that Earl (laughs) lacks the skill the expertise to build an AI-based robot. Earl built a statue, but it's hard to criticise Jake for his grief. Something's going on, something very strange. Coroner finally turns up, begins his investigation. Coroner is played by Alvin Saunders. He played Fred in the Stargate SG-1 episode Holiday. More recently been in Resident Alien, which is a brilliant show. Also in Riverdale, and he's a prolific voice actor. He examines the body. No signs of a physical attack, but his veins and capillaries are grossly expanded. He believes some sort of bacterial infection would be the cause of this. Jake, obviously, is not having any of it because that doesn't sound like a robot's doing it. As we know, there is a bacterial organism on the robot, so (laughs) that's a pretty good call by this coroner who lives and works in the boonies. Amanda and Claire make it to the sheriff's office, but it's locked. Where's Jenny? I would have thought she'd have packed in for the night, but maybe she's not based at the sheriff's office. They head off to the local bar. Max is there, playing darts. The barkeep, Tony, played by Chris Gauthier. He was in The Ark of Truth and Stargate Atlantis Trinity. Also been in Once Upon a Time in Eureka. He's talking to one of his patrons, Harry, played by Don Thompson. He was in the SG-1 episode Stronghold and Wormhole Extreme. Also been in Battlestar, The Killing and The Excellent Slither. And none of them know what's coming their way. Jake is on the warpath, just like Earl before him. He's got his rifle, he's got a bottle of propane. It's all very well going on a vengeance spree, but you could actually hurt somebody else. Kind of got to be careful. Sheriff tried to stop him, but no, there was no stopping him. He comes across the parked muscle car that belonged to the cowboy. He gets his rifle and investigates, and he sees the body. And just like his brother, 
His veins are all expanded and blood red. And again, credit to the cinematographer and the director. I've seen way too many movies and TV shows that shoot at night and you cannot see a thing. You've no idea what's going on. This is not fake day for night. This is actually shooting at night time and you can see everything you need to. Beautiful picture. This has turned out to be a rather decent movie, at least from production terms. And it's not too bad story either. <laughs> Amanda and Claire finally get in touch with the sheriff as he pulls into the station. And it wasn't a neighbour, it was her aunt that got killed by the golem, by the robot. I forgot she was staying with her auntie. More bad news for the sheriff. He's not having a very good night, but at least he's alive. Oh, believe that. The lights in the town start flickering. At the pub, there are three locals. They're having a bit of a joke. They're not quite taking the threat of the robot seriously. And they will in a bit. The lights are exploding in the sheriff's office. He draws his service revolver. You're going to need a bigger gun. <laughs> nice one, Claire. And here comes the robot. Thud, thud, thud. Claire makes room for it. Robot is in pursuit. Not particularly fast, but determined. Earl gets out of his truck. Well, he was all gung-ho a while back, but he goes straight into the pub. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's going for a drink or not. This is when Jake finally arrives. He guns his truck, heads towards the robot. As its electrical system gets burnt out, it slows down, but he manages to clip its leg. The robot tries to remain upright, but it falls. Smashes to pieces. Oh, well, the movie can't be finished. <laughs> Got another at least 40 minutes left, so we're not done yet. Oh, bugger. The lights start flashing again as some of the pieces of the robot start to vibrate. They start to move. It's going to build itself back together again. But they bought some time. They're going to make good use of it because they'll be coming for them. Make no bones about that. Oh, no. <laughs> the sheriff is spending so much time looking after Amanda that he doesn't notice that one of the robot arms is scuttling along the drive. Grabs him by the ankles. And within seconds, the virus, or whatever it is, has invaded his system, and he's dead. Very, very dead. Amanda and Jake make a beeline for the pub. Jake once again goes after Earl in a rage. Still believes that Earl has actually created this piece of military technology that eclipses anything the Americans or the Russians have got. Hopefully he'll come to his senses sooner rather than later. It's then that they notice that Claire isn't with them. Oops, and where's Jenny? Oh, love it. The pub is surrounded by pieces of the robot. Some of its parts have rejoined, but the rest are acting pretty much independently. They mean business. Especially when One Piece actually manages to get inside of the pub. They think it's dead, but suddenly it springs to life, starts crawling across the floor towards the group of them. And they're, and they're panicking. Really panicking. Tony totally loses it when he realises the thing is coming after him. He jumps up on a pool table. Luckily, Jake swings his axe, impels it to the floor. They think they've killed it, but then they notice that the green slime, the mould on it, is actually moving from the piece of metal into the axe blade. Surely at this point, Jake must realise Earl did not make this. Oh, right. Jenny is alive and well. Oh, great. Now she's run into Claire and Max. They try to convince her of the danger in town. She's not totally convinced. She needs to see it for herself. Tells them to get into the back seat of the patrol car. I'm not sure I'd want to go back towards town, especially without any heavy weaponry. But they have no choice. Back at the pub, they can see the mould growing, expanding. 
And finally, they put two and two together and realised that this could have come from the Russian satellite. Maybe Jake will go easy on Earl now. One thing for sure, Harry's having none of it. Those commie sons of bitches! It's a biological attack! Hey, Harry, they could do this. They don't have to worry about anything else. They've got your beat. Amanda's concerned about her daughter. Jake says, sure, she's well out of it. She's long gone. And then we see the patrol car driving into town, which, of course, Claire is in. <laughs> oh, great. That is nice writing. Very nice. The deputy switches on a light, gives a quick blast on the siren, draws the attention of the people in the pub. She'll be safe as long as you don't get out of the car. But at that point, she sees the sheriff's body, and naturally, she's going to get out of the car. She's still sceptical, so nothing really to fear except whoever, not whatever, killed the sheriff. She reaches the body, visibly upset, doesn't notice now that the robot, which is still broken up into many dozens of parts, takes notice. And all the pieces near her start to inch their way towards her. It's like being charged by a bunch of snails. They're slow, but they're deliberate. Max and Claire can see what's happening from the car. <laughs> but they're in the back. They're locked in. Nothing they can do. Jenny's on her own. And you know what? She kind of really deserved to die. The director even went as far as to make sure you realised how noisy these elements of the robot were as they dragged themselves across the tarmac and the concrete. They were making a racket. She should have known something was behind her. But nope, she's lost in her grief and we see her skin turn and her veins expand and turn black. And Jenny's dead. Not a great way to go out. Of course now we've got two groups of people, Claire and Max in the patrol car locked in. And the rest of them in the pub with the alcohol. So it's not all bad. Naturally it gets worse. We see now that the alien virus probably reached its fill of metallic compounds in the blood of its victims. Starts pulling itself back together again. Very, very slowly. Jake sees this as an opportunity. He's got his propane tank in his truck along with his weapon. He's going to coat the propane tank with human blood. Make it irresistible to the robot. Hopefully they'll incorporate it into its design. And then with accurate rifle shot, kaboom. Great plan. Not quite sure it's going to work that way, but great plan. And now I've seen everything. The axe in the pub has got the alien virus upon it. And it's moving by itself. It's spinning around on its axis. It's, <laughs> it's freaking out. Harry, Tony and Earl, they don't quite know what to do with it. Because they can't let it touch them. This is nuts! Holy crap! Jake and Amanda are at his truck. They've got the propane tank. He slices open his arm to get some blood. Meanwhile, back at the pub, they're investigating killing the axe with bleach or some other disinfectant. Of course, they take their eye off it for one second and it lunges. And Tony jumps in front of Harry and the axe goes right into his foot. He screams and his blood pours out onto the axe. And we see his veins darken and enlarge. And that's the end of the barkeep. He died valiantly. Maybe stupidly, but valiantly. Not many people left in this movie, is there? Oh, change of plan. Amanda's not impressed by Jake's ability to slice open his own arm. She takes a knife, cuts into her arm. Basically telling him that you've got to fire the weapon. <laughs> blood loss could affect your aim. Harry goes and gets some soap liquid soap, I'm going to pour it onto the axe, hopefully kill the virus, 
Earl isn't overly optimistic, but come on Earl, have some ideas of your own. It's going to take some sort of disinfectant to kill it. He tries, doesn't seem to work. At this point, is Tony dead? Or is he just on the verge of death? Because he doesn't quite look as bad as some of the others. Meanwhile, Amanda and Jake <laughs> are talking about why hasn't he had a steady girlfriend since she left town? Wow. <laughs> I assume she's doing this to prove a point that you know he's got to move on. But it's a bit vain as well, isn't it? And certainly not the time or the place. But this is sci-fi B-movie melodrama at its best. Oh, this is nice. The robot is virtually complete and we see its head roll up to the exoskeleton. And it picks its own head up. <laughs> the camera pans up the robot, foot by foot, till we get to its head and it's back in business. It makes a beeline for the troll car, where Claire and Max are still pretty much locked in, although they have broken the window by now. Jake makes a run, waving around the propane canister covered in blood. The robot is not interested. There's two healthy young teenagers full of blood. That's what it wants. Its claws smash into the patrol car, and somehow, for the next 20 odd seconds, it doesn't make contact. Somehow, <laughs> Claire survives. Amanda's having none of this though. She runs up, ripped off the bandage of her arm, to expose her blooded wound. Surely this will draw the robot's attention. Suck on this! She's got more balls than both of us put together. Oh, this is interesting. Claire wonders why she's still alive, because she touched the robot. The virus should have taken her. She's got a head wound as well. Is this about blood? Has she got a blood factor it doesn't like? Does she suffer from maybe some sort of condition that makes her blood unappealing? Hmm. Maybe a twist in this movie. They may need it, because as the robot approaches the propane tank, it kicks it aside. Too far away to do any damage if Jake actually takes a shot. Jake and Amanda then retreat back to the pub. She yells to Claire to stay in the troll car. Whatever is going to solve this, it's not going to be a brute force solution, that's for sure. Which is a little ironic, because the robot is currently trying to smash down the door of the pub. All our surviving townsfolk are inside. Alas, Tony is dead. Jake grabs the axe, the, you know, the one that's infected. Uh, <laughs> everybody seems a little perplexed about what he's doing. Max, meanwhile, has got out of the cruiser and he's grabbed the propane bottle. He starts yelling at the robot, runs up to it and smashes the bottle into the leg. It turns and begins to pursue him, slowly, methodically. We're getting a lot of action, a lot of shaky cam, a lot of Dutch angles. Actually, works pretty good. It's giving the film a chaotic feel to it. As the robot pursues Max, he shouts to Jake. Max shouts to Jake, not the robot. Jake comes out with his gun, Max throws the propane at the feet of the robot. He takes a shot. It explodes. The debris rains down everywhere, striking a few of the guys. However, the debris is still alive. <laughs> Some of it lands on the patrol car, goes after Claire. But we do see that inside the pub, the axe is bubbling. The virus, whatever it really is, is actually dying. Some alcohol looks like a bottle of whiskey had emptied itself onto it. So, sod the bleach. Alcohol, that's what we want. With this knowledge, Amanda and Harry leave the pub, armed with whiskey and other beverages. They start spraying the bits of debris. The only drawback I see of this is that this is a volatile liquid which you are spraying onto flames. At the very least, some of these pieces should be exploding into fireballs, but it doesn't for some reason. 
Okay. <laughs> Earl is still down. Jake is fighting off the nearest pieces. Harry comes to his rescue. Meanwhile, Max is being defended by Claire. <laughs> this little fin-shaped object moving towards them through the grass. Oh, if they could have only got the Jaws theme. That would have been perfection. I've got to say, though, this sequence is dragging on a bit. You can only watch people pouring whiskey onto burning pieces of metal for so long before it gets a little bit repetitive. Have a drink, you alien son of a bitch! Oh, right. We get the answer to why Claire wasn't infected. She has anemia. She's anemic. So her blood wasn't tasty enough. How unfortunate. The next morning, dawn breaks. They're just finishing up, going across the debris, just wetting it all down, just making sure. Why take a risk now? Earl says he's definitely not going to make another golem. <laughs> all this metal is going into uh, the compactor. Bloody dangerous. I suppose if you've got proper gloves on, no bare skin, you're reasonably well protected. The movie, however, ducks the issue. We don't see him loading or unloading the scrap. All we see is that the crusher is fully loaded. Earl is operating it. And that seems to be the end of the infected parts. You look around at the scrapyard, though. If some of that compound had got on some of the heavy industrial machinery, huge forklift there as well, digger, you know, you could have heard a... Although I think... I seem to recall a movie, Hilldozer, where bulldozers came to life and threatened people maybe running into copyright issues there <laughs> so they had to go for something a little bit different jake's on the phone to the state police and they don't believe a word of his story even to the point where he's telling them that the deputy and the sheriff of the town are both dead which should be raising alarms all around the local communities but no they don't seem that interested but nothing's going to stop earl from getting his Cherished bottle of liquor, which is worth more than his truck, as he says. I think they do deserve a drink. It's been one hell of a night. Oh, no. <laughs> We've got a, a shot of the compactor, which is moving and buckling as we see the green virus mould on many of the pieces inside it. Whatever it is, it's fighting its way out. Earl, get that real expensive bottle of scotch out, please. We're going to need it. Jake makes a run to the compactor, grabs the spray can of alcohol, starts wetting down the compactor, steam is rising off. Can't hear anything screaming, but you can imagine that the virus is doing just that. It looks like the humans are winning the fight. And then that little thin-like piece of metal bursts its way out and starts scampering. Scampering, that's the word, across the scrapyard. And Jake is running after it, squirting the alcohol, not being able to catch it. It's making a valiant dash for freedom and safety and Earl appears out of nowhere and smashes the bottle right into it stops it dead oh <laughs> a cute little thing it deserves its freedom where it could grow and then devour the world but wasn't to be well done Earl and well done to Caven because <laughs> you look like a prat mate you really did so now they're left with the enormous task of scouring the entire scrapyard just to be safe and i honestly don't think they've got enough alcohol in the town to do that unless they know somebody local who shall we say brews their own and has got a few 50 gallon drums of the stuff lying about but that's for another time because that is where the movie ends fortunately the death toll was rather low as we saw at the beginning the town is in economic turmoil 
very few people live there anymore. Most of the dwellings are up for sale. So we've got pretty much a 50% mortality rate, which is excessive, but number of characters is only about a dozen. It's not so bad. Metal Shifters. That was a pretty good movie. Very well produced, very well made, good acting, excellent cast. Dialogue was pretty good. The CGI was pretty good. They didn't try to do too much with what they had. Could quite easily have gone for more of a, a CGI robot, something like, you know, Pacific Rim. But they went a bit more downscale and it worked a whole lot better. Overall, highly recommended B sci-fi movie with its feet firmly planted in the real world because it's never really explained what this creature is, what this virus is. came from space, we know that, it is a satellite, the satellite crashed on Earth. Where it's from, did it have an agenda, was it just acting on pure instinct to survive, we'll never know. Doesn't really matter. This was a movie about a group of townsfolk facing a threat that could wipe them out, looking how they reacted, and for the most part, pretty well. Okay then folks, thank you very much for listening and joining me on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed Metal Shifters. If you haven't seen it, and you've actually listened to this, go and watch it. Let me know what you think. Right, contact information. Our primary website is stargatearchives.com. Our email address is stargatearchives at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, The Gatecast, and on Tumblr, Gatecast. Our primary social media portal, though, is Twitter, and you can find us at The Gatecast, which is one word. We're also listed on Stitcher, Podbay, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and TuneIn. Our original show, Gatecast, we still have a website up and running, gatecast.co.uk. And for both podcasts, we have RSS feeds you can manually copy and paste into your chosen podcatcher. As always, any thoughts, comments, please get in touch. If you want to join me on the podcast to talk Stargate, pick an episode of any of the live action series, and we can chat for an hour or so over Skype. Easily done, not too difficult these days. If you want to talk about a B-movie that features Stargate actors, that's fine with me as well. I'm always up for that. Just drop me a line at any other contact points. If you access our podcast via any system that offers ratings and reviews, that would be most welcome. But for now, that's it. Up next, I'm not quite sure. As always, it's just the first movie I see that I fancy. I don't really plan these things out very much, not anymore anyway. Okay then, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, I've been Mike. Take care. Bye-bye.